Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Reform Podmatics. I am Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And we thank you for joining us for a belated episode here of Reform Podmatics. Um, it's, uh, it's been one that we've been wrestling with, to be quite honest. Uh, yeah. We're going to be talking about the Christian Reformed Church, and generally when we do these podcasts this on this topic, we know that listenership's going to be up a little bit. Uh, occasionally, these conversations will be shared and we want to do so carefully and so yeah. we've been thinking hard about how we're going to approach this very important topic of Christian Reformed Church history and um, how the, the history of the CRC applies in many ways to our current moment. So that's the main layout of today's episode and if you're not a member of a Christian Reformed Church um, you may find this interesting um, not just because you'd be learning about another denomination but because these trends are very present, not just yeah. in the CRC, but across denominational lines as well. So, um, for example, uh, Zach and I really like Mortification of Spin. It's a great podcast, and they did an episode not too long ago on some very technical decisions of the PCA General Assembly, and I found it very interesting because yeah. it's a very similar conversation to what we face in the CRC regarding particularly things like human sexuality. So. Um, that's where we're going today, and hopefully you will uh, enjoy the ride and learn a few <laughs> things of the CRC along the way. Yeah, the, the aim here simply is to just give the lay of the land of what's going on in the CRC, what are the major mm-hmm. groups are in the CRC, and then also, as we'll do here in a second, is to explain sort of how we got to uh, where we are right now. Uh, this, this is something that makes me think or this is why I love history so mm. much mm. as a general subject. I just love to understand why the world is the way that it is. And so we'll do a little bit of a brief sketch on the history of the CRC. If mm. you want a really deep dive, this is not the place for you. Yeah. Um, there will be several other books that we could recommend, but this is just to give a quick overview and try to help explain how we have arrived, where we've arrived right now. And so it's if we were, if we were going to start with the the beginnings of the CRC, we can go back all the way in time to the 1850s, to the mm. year, I believe 1857. Yep. Is that is that correct? Yes. Uh, when the Christian Reformed Church in, in North America uh, essentially split off from the uh, its mother church, which is now known as the RCA, the Reformed Church of America, mm-hmm. uh, or is it Churches of America? I'm not sure of I the think terminology. It's church, yeah. Um, and so that was yeah back in the 1850s in Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. Those original churches and and classes still exist, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Uh, so. Mark, I'll confess here, is the is more of an expert on all of this history than I am. I know some of the, the broad strokes, but I'll let Mark take it from here on, as to why these splits uh, began to, to take place. Well, I think uh, we can go all the way back to the 1500s and look at the Reformation as um, really a golden age in many people's minds of mm-hmm. a pure church, much in the same way that 
Christians broadly throughout the world see uh, the early church as a, a pure expression of Christianity. I think a lot of Reformed people, and of our persuasion, people who are really excited about theologians like John Calvin and um, Theodore Beza and mm-hmm. Martin Luther, for that matter, Ulrich Zwingli, John Knox, um, people who are excited about those guys can kind of romanticize that mm. as, wow, they, they stood up to the Pope. They, um, many of them were martyrs, which we should really honor and respect. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so with that comes a romanticizing of, wow, that was just this, this pure expression <laughs> of Reformed um, Christian whether it's ecclesiology yeah. or theology in general or, or, or something it's like, like that. It's like for many people, the apostolic period was the pure church, you know, yeah. and the 16th century was, was the pure church. If we could basically merge those two times together into our own time, that would be amazing. But <laughs> Well, that's kind of how Americans exactly think about the founding fathers. Yeah, we, we romanticize and, yeah. and sort of yeah, glorify that history. Yeah, so, so that is part of our DNA and really a, a value in many Christian Reformed churches is to, mm-hmm. to honor and respect and, and uh, uphold the courage and theological, just amazing uh, work that yeah. was done by a lot of those first Reformers. And so what did they do? They, they broke off from the Roman Catholic Church. Um, that was the original intention, of course, but um, that's what it became over the course of the 16th century. And since then, there have been various other splits in the Reformed world. Um, already in the 1600s, in the Netherlands, you have a, a split between Arminianism and Calvinism, and that's really solidified through the Canons of Dort in the early 17th century. And um, if one were to read the Canons of Dort, you'll find some pretty fiery language um, in the mm. Belgic Confession as well and the Heidelberg Catechism about uh, error, false teaching, and how we are called to be a pure theologically and personally and even a congregationally pure um, group of churches. And, and so that's a value in certainly the Dutch Reformed world and, and many other expressions of Christianity as well. Yeah. So um, there have been a history of splits. Uh, just going through some of them really quickly, there was a split in 1834 in the Netherlands in the Dutch church, and that was that is called the Afscheiding, um, mm-hmm. and Afscheiding just means split in Dutch. And uh, the reason for this split is that the church was a state church at the time, just like today there's the Church of England and um, the Church of Sweden and mm-hmm. Catholic churches in Spain and Italy. Um, there was a and a state church in the Netherlands that was Calvinistic in nature. And um, a new king, King William, wanted to make that church more hierarchical. And so many Reformed people said, well, hierarchy is not in keeping with Reformed theology. And hmm. so they split. Um, one of the lines from their reasons for splitting was that they wanted to give loyalty to the three reforms, meaning the, the three forms of unity, and to the order of Dort. And by the order of Dort, they mean... Um, reformed polity, a reformed way of doing yeah, church. Not just the canons of Dort, right? Uh, but the order of Dort, which were the the, the church order, or the canon law, essentially that came out of it. Yeah, and so to become hierarchical, as if like there's the king at the top, and then there's uh, other bishops or or people in a hierarchy overseeing local congregational matters. Um, many, I would say, rightly 
saw that as a betrayal of our Reformed heritage. So there was that split in 1834 with the Aufschiding, and then later, about 50 years later in 1886, Abraham Kuyper leads another split um, from the state church because he saw what are called liberalizing trends in in that state church as well. And these two splits actually linked up with one another in the Netherlands and became what, what even still is called the Christian Reformed Church. Of course, that's the English translation of the Dutch words, which are Christian Reformed Church. And so that's all kind of happening across the Atlantic, while there's also a split happening in America uh, between the RCA and the CRC. And so uh, that when this is an interesting thing maybe for, for some people to know that when people immigrated then, Dutch immigrants after 1857, they often were looking for a Christian Reformed church, more so than mm. an RCA church, um, mm. particularly if they were coming from the northern regions of Friesland and Groningen, where, so, where all my ancestors come from. Yeah. So the CRC then, from those early days, then what we have is the result of that is that it retains more of a Dutchness, yeah. whereas the Reformed Church of America, the RCA, um, didn't have that that's that yeah that animus to americanization yeah we would correct say. Yeah, yeah um and so it was more accepting of american ways um this is from what i've gathered and mm-hmm. read yeah and one of the big things i've also heard is that christian education became a big a big mm-hmm. point of contention between the two groups here in the states with the rca taking the position of uh, public schooling mm-hmm. uh, and the CRC taking more of a position of Christian schooling with a reformed um, bent, you could say. Yeah, and uh, maybe another example would be confessionalism and um, and really what that means. Hmm. Uh, in, in an RCA church, historically, um, there is a profession of faith in the three forms of unity, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgian Confession, and the Canons of Dort. Um, but uh, I have a friend who went to Western Seminary and who went to Calvin Seminary and, and really did both of the seminaries. And, and he said, at Western Seminary, you would hardly ever hear a reference to anything confessional in nature. Mm. Um, whereas in at Calvin, um, I think this he graduated maybe about 2012 or so from Calvin Seminary. Okay. Um, it, was, it was front and center. There was a class on the confessions. And in mm. order to be a CRC pastor, you must go mm. through this confessional training even. Yeah. Um, and that that's that bears itself out in a lot of practical ways in, in my experiences in RCA and CRC churches where um, there's catechism preaching here. Uh, right now we're preaching through the Belgic Confession in our evenings. We have catechism class for our high schools. That's high school students. That's Sunday school for where them. They do learn other things in that yeah. class, but yeah. we do every couple of years... Heidelberg Catechism course. Yeah, we try to make sure every student gets two years yeah. of, catech- of catechesis. During their high school During career. their high school career, yeah. And so that's a priority for us. And for better or for worse, I'm not saying it's necessarily the right way, but it's a different approach to the confessions, I would say, really putting yeah. them in front of the church. Um, <laughs> I think there was a survey that showed what percentage of, of people had ever even heard of the Canons of Dort in mm the RCA, and it was a one, around 30% or something like oh, that. Wow. And so I don't know what that percentage would be in the CRC, but um, <laughs> I would hope it, it would be higher because they are great documents. And so um, 
that that's a little bit of the um the territory you okay. might say um, so that's the 19th century yeah what then bego- becomes uh the story in the 20th century uh, what are some of the big things that happen there well um i i can think of two large splits one much larger than the other the first the smaller one would have been the protestant reformed split yeah. of the 1920s the common grace controversy yeah so um do you want to go into maybe what some of that looks like yeah just a little bit of what i know so there was um there was a man named herman Huxima in grand rapids i believe um who basically denied the existence of common grace common grace is the reformed doctrine especially it's it's not unique to the dutch reformed but it was definitely highlighted by uh 19th century dutch reformed thinkers like abraham kuyper and herman bovink mm-hmm. um basically the doctrine is that god's goodness is seen in the natural world uh, and god's goodness uh, is given to um the righteous and the unrighteous in certain ways. This is why it uses the word common grace as opposed to special grace. God does not give his special grace to all people, but he gives his, he gives common grace to all people, hence the name common. So mm-hmm. this would include uh, the biblical passage of Matthew chapter 5, where we are told by Christ himself that rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous, the good and the bad. Um, and so, God gives these sorts of gifts to the world. He gives um, peoples everywhere food and shelter and warmth and, and wisdom even and wisdom and love and, and yeah. wisdom. They can know yeah. true things. A person doesn't have to be a Christian to know human anatomy and to be a good a good uh, doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't ha- they don't have to be a Christian to have to have true wisdom about the world and even to have some good philosophies. Um, we would maybe say that their philosophy is ultimately wrong, but they can point out good things about the world. And so common grace helps us to read somebody like Aristotle and say, well, yeah, okay, he wasn't a Christian, but what can we learn from him? What was he pointing out about mm-hmm. the the world around him that is good and useful and beneficial to us uh, as Christians? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the common grace is this, this recognition that, uh, the, that God's goodness extends far beyond just uh, his the church essentially just beyond the people of, of Christ. Um, mm-hmm. and so as far as I understand, Herman Huxima essentially comes out and denies this. And then the church, the classes that he was in classes that he was in begins to, to, uh, discipline him. And ultimately him and a few others mm-hmm. along with him were deposed. Um, and they started a small denomination that still exists today called the Protestant reformed church. Uh, this was all in the, the 1920s, and there's not very many Protestant Reformed Christians today. Just a little over eight thousand, uh, from what I could find. Mm. Yeah, that's um, one of our former pastors grew up Protestant Reformed. Uh, Pastor Phil of our mm. own church grew up in a Protestant Reformed family, and um, certainly um, his experience in that denomination was um, was very, uh, very doctrinal. Uh, very uh, precise about language and, and sermons and preaching and teaching children. Um, and so there are 33 of those churches today. And so, like I said, not the hugest split, but definitely one that Christian Reformed people are aware of and remember. Um, of course, the larger one happened in the 1990s with the creation of the United Reformed Churches. And uh, this was a much larger split. There are 112 URC churches today today. 
And um, I would guess uh, that there are other churches that maybe split off and uh, or, or just other people who left for other denominations, even like Heritage Reformed and uh, mm-hmm. Presbyterian PCA churches that were sort of bolstered by this split that was happening in the 1990s, where um, even even though there are 112 URC churches today, um, the 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 bloodletting that you might say was much larger than just okay. the creation of 112 churches. Uh, hmm. Just a lot of people leaving um, their Christian Reformed churches their in the 1990s. Yeah. Um, or did you were you aware of this very much uh, as a kid in the 90s? So we'll get to the different streams in a minute. But I grew up in a I would call it a community church, mm-hmm. which was very disconnected from the denomination. Uh, CRC yeah. was not in the name of my church that I grew up in, and hmm. so. I was oblivious, totally okay. oblivious at this time to anything that was happening in the broader CRC. Like, hmm. I would have been about 10 years old. I was born in 1982, and this really ramped up in 92 through 95 is yeah. really the creation of the uh, the URC. But this was over the issue of um, URC, people would say, is the issue of, spirit, of scriptural authority um, and the manifestation of that they would say downgrading of scriptural authority was allowing women to be deacons, elders, and pastors in local churches. And so um, there are a few other tangential issues that are related to this scriptural authority, but um, it's a lot like, actually, if you think of the American Civil War, um, they say it's, it's fought over, some people would say, states' rights. Well, it's, it's really fought over slavery, and yeah. and the that's that's where the manifestation of states rights was seen mm-hmm. um this it's the same thing really with the scriptural authority being the umbrella issue and the women's mm-hmm. ordination kind of being the manifestation of that yeah that's actually a really good way of explaining that uh, i hadn't quite thought of it like that before but this this split as far as i could tell and if you listen to this episode or this podcast for a while now you'll know that i came into the crc from the outside um and so four years in i'm still kind of learning the lay of the land but i have a good feel for for things and how they are now uh but when you have a split like this we have how many congregations in the crc today over 800 around 800 yeah um and so if you have 112 it's probably less than that maybe in the 90s that that was the wikipedia as of uh, about two days ago said 112 (laughs) in the urc yeah so i'm guessing not all 112 of those congregations were congregations that were in the crc formerly but a good number of them, maybe the the majority of them were. So we could say maybe a conservative estimate is 75. Um, if you have 75 of these conservative churches leaving the CRC, it kind of t- changes the, hmm. um, the, the, I don't know, what's the word? The trajectory. Uh, the trajectory, the, yeah. it, the complexion yeah. of the denomination as it now remains. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And so the, the pendulum has has shifted a little bit. This isn't to say that it has gone completely far to the left, but um, it has lost a little bit of, of the conservative side of the church. Yeah. Um, and so the, yeah, the, the well, denomination we, is affected And this, even though this happened 25 years ago, the reverberations are still being felt in the CRC. Oh, absolutely. And it's um, really important to understanding the CRC today mm-hmm. to understand this moment in the nineties. Um, people in our church, I've heard them talk about uh, when this happened and uh, what families were going to do. Are they going to leave mm-hmm. and go to to a different church or were they going to stay here? 
and it was it's was kind of a divisive time and there's still a little bit of that con- contention i would say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah there's and that's just those who went to the urc who i mean there's a lot of churches i'm sure um i think of my my wife's home church in in british columbia where um there's no urc in town and but there were some people who left their CRC to go okay. over to a more conservative church in the 90s. Yeah. Like that that's that was something that was happening and so it's not just this well look at all these these people who went towards the United Reformed Church and um that's the number of people who left. It's not quite accurate to do that cuz those churches have grown from other places than just the CRC too yeah. um, through evangelism for example. Um and but at the same time, even in our own town, I know of people who have just left their own CRC and not gone necessarily over to the United Reformed Church in mm-hmm. town, but just to a closer theologically conservative church in Modesto if they, that's where they live yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So I think that that's a really common thing that gets a little bit lost in the conversation. But the reason that we bring this up is um, the CRC was growing in numbers um, really quickly through the 60s and 70s. And in the 80s, it started to slow down a little bit, but it was still growing. Was and that then, lots of Dutch immigration, or was that actually just sort of what we could call organic growth, yeah. evangelization and so on? I think it was people Maybe having both. big families, probably. It was yeah. a big, huge factor. So it's a sociological That's, yeah. factor, I think, mostly. The boomer generation. Um, yeah, just a lot of families of three, four, five kids mm-hmm. and, um, and people from the outside too. Uh, this was a time where there was some church growth movement stuff starting to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so some of those churches were getting big actually in the CRC. But when the split happened with the United Reformed Churches, it just brought that growth to a screeching halt there. We have not um, recovered, you might say, and, and, lost members really Mm -hmm. um since then and there's a lot of people who having anxiety about that sort of thing um there were big plans in the 80s of how many people were going to be in the crc by 2000 and by 2020 and Mm -hmm. and there was it was just an upward trajectory and (laughs) we were you know on our way to we were building the kingdom mount zion you know (laughs) and um and that is after the the split with the the URC was that was just totally reversed hmm. and um now uh the question is well who are we going to be who who is the christian reformed church yeah. going to be in you know F, and when looking through all this history um that is a question that we have to ask and and That's one a other question we've been asking for ever since i got here 4 yeah. years ago it's yeah. been the question of the CRC who are we and yeah. it has roots that go far back than just four years ago. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so uh, maybe one of the best ways of putting that question is uh, by, by talking a little bit about an article written in The Banner, which is our denominational magazine. Uh, this is an article that came out in December of 1980, and it is by far no comparison. There's no close second, the most well-known article ever written in The Banner that is called Burn the Wooden Shoes. I heard about it at seminary. And I think I even saw a copy of the um, of the cover where on the cover of the banner were some wooden shoes that were on fire. <laughs> and um, the, the question was, given that we are trying to move away from being an ethnic church, a Dutch church, mm-hmm. um, who are we going to be? 
it's it's a big question that the Christian Reformed Church still wrestles with, and there are different answers to that question. That's really where we start to move into modern-day applications of history. So when we burden the wooden shoes, what will we be? Um, I think that everyone would agree having an a church that is fundamentally tied to an ethnicity is not a good thing for the kingdom of God. It's a sinful expression yeah. of sort of communicating that you're you're a little bit more in if you're mm-hmm. Dutch or in a German church. You're a little bit more in if you're Lutheran or German in a Lutheran church or um, mm-hmm. um, there's other expressions of that uh, as well. A Greek and a Greek Orthodox church, I would guess. Yeah. Um, and so given that that is an error, well, what are we going to be? That's a huge question, and different streams in the CRC answer that question differently right now. Yeah, so the streams are a really interesting feature of the CRC, and these streams will have parallels definitely with basically every other denomination uh, in existence. Yeah. Even, even Roman Catholics or Eastern Orthodox, I've seen similar streams. And so it's this is not symptomatic only of the CRC, but really of broader Christianity in a global sense. Um but yeah, there's different ways that, th- that these different streams, as far as we can see, have answered that question, who are we going to be? If we're not going to be the Dutch church, who are we going to be? Um, I, I will say it as a little bit of a side note that there's not really any inherent problem with the CRC being so Dutch. <laughs> I say this as somebody who's who's not Dutch. Um, this is just how so many churches were coming out of the Reformation. Uh, they were deeply tied to ethnic heritage, not because they theologically valued ethnic heritage, although there were some who would some do that. Some who did, yeah. Um, some, sometimes you would hear theologians saying, like I remember reading Philip Scaff, who was a German theologian, one of his early books that he wrote early in his life in the 1840s, and hmm. he has a very, very high view of German culture, and it hmm. sounds like Bavink had a very high view of Dutch culture. Hmm. Um, and so that would be wrong uh, to, to have uh, if you take it too far. But we sh- you shouldn't be necessarily ashamed of having a denomination that is mostly com- composed of Dutch people. Um, and so, I don't know, that's yeah, a whole so, other sort of side So long point. as that, yeah, they, I, I always wonder how that's perceived by people who are not of mm-hmm. that ethnicity, um, especially of not of that skin color, you know. And so yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that... That's where it becomes... Th- yeah, that... And and we do want to grow in diversity, of course. That's um, a huge emphasis of one of these streams. Um, But maybe the first response that we can think of to answering this question, if we're not a Dutch denomination, what are we going to be, Hmm. is the community church group. Hmm. Um, This is uh, pastors, churches that were really excited about Bill Hybels and and Willow Creek and Rick Warren and Saddleback and maybe even Andy Stanley today or um, um, maybe somebody like Matt Chandler today um, would, yeah. would still get attention from people in this stream. And uh, I would call this the community church evangelical stream of, yeah. Christi- of Christian Reformed. We wrestled for a little bit on how to describe yeah. this stream. Some thoughts we threw out were church growth, others were seeker sensitive, but even though they liked those big names like Bill Hybels mm-hmm. and like Rick Warren, not all of the churches that are in this sort of stream really strive to be the huge church mm-hmm. in town. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these churches are not massive churches. Uh, the community church sort of movement, if we can call it that, um, is really a desire to be a, to be a 
church that really emphasizes community in your church. So fellowship, joy, laughter, friendship. Conversion would be a big factor. And then to like, be, yeah. yeah, and then to have an influence in your broader community of your town. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are many CRCs across the country and then even in Canada, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. that are usually have removed the name Christian Reformed Church from their official church title mm-hmm. and have inserted instead community church. Uh, and this is... We, we don't have any hatred in our hearts for these guys. We're friends with many of them. <laughs> yeah. I grew up uh, and was formed in my faith at a community church. It wasn't CRC, but it was called Kingsburg Community Church. Still is. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to everybody who's still there. Any friends <laughs> who may be listening. Um, but this is a broader movement of just, it's not necessarily that these churches are, are progressive in any way mm-hmm. theologically. They're mm-hmm. not necessarily really either conservative or deeply rooted in history. Um, although those things may come up from time to time, yeah. uh, but it's most mostly just in a, a desire to be a f- peaceful place where faith can can grow and people can can get to know one another. And there's not really necessarily anything wrong with any of that. Yeah, um, I grew up in one of these as well—a a church plant in Naperville, Illinois, called Christ Community Church. It was a CRC, and. Um, that that was that's a good description. It was a, a good landing place. A lot of times these churches are in the suburbs, mm-hmm. so um, suburban areas that were growing really rapidly in the yeah. 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, like Naperville was. So my town of Naperville was maybe 65,000 when my family moved there, and by the time I moved away for college, it was 140,000. Wow. So that's it was very just, much the Bill Hybels model then. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and then um, there are other churches that fit that description in the CRC as well. Um, the most well-known being Sunshine Community Church in Grand Rapids, which was a pretty influential church in the denomination, um, getting upwards of about 3,000 members at one point. Back in the 80s and 90s? Yeah, it was It was in like the 90s and hmm. the uh, the really early 2000s that it was, it was a large church. Hmm. Um, today it's a very small church, um, and that trajectory or that life cycle um, kind of shows the um the life cycle of that emphasis in the crc as well yeah uh that there was a time where to be an exciting church you were going to be a community church in the crc yeah. and we felt that you may not up. have called yourself a community church but yeah you'd fit this sort of i think people would get the, the moniker and it's a fair one too i think that there's probably yeah people who are in that camp would be okay with that characterization i hope and um, so in many of these churches their way of answering the burning the shoes question of who are we now is to basically de-emphasize the Dutch theological inheritance yeah, yeah. of the confessions and catechisms and to just and sort liturgy. of yeah and yeah. just sort of learn and read other big famous evangelical voices mm-hmm. um, so I wouldn't be surprised if many of the community church sorts of churches in the 80s 90s 2000s were reading guys like Billy Graham or going to promise Rick, keepers, Rick Warren going to promise keepers, yep. things that weren't really necessarily CRC at all, but were just sort of the common things that the rest of the evangelical world was doing. So you probably had guys reading people like Erwin McManus mm. or, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. John Eldridge and yeah, some, John some of the names for, you know, the, the trends definitely would be prevalent in, yeah. uh, those churches, uh, my church, we never read "I Kiss Dating Goodbye." <laughs> uh, that's more of almost like a homeschool uh, 
really conservative evangelical cultural mm-hmm. thing, but we definitely encourage men to go to Promise Keepers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Robert Morris is a is a guy who did some yeah, some men's that. ministry stuff that was mm-hmm. kind of popular. A lot of video studies. Max Lucado, uh, James Stanley. Dobson, James Dobson, yeah, yeah. So each of those are going to be pretty big voices in that stream. Um, it's going to lean more conservative, evangelical, and suburban. Mm-hmm. And so I like how you you said it's um, we burn the wooden shoes by really dismissing, uh, for better or for worse, a lot of those yes. historical things, both the cultural things, and, yeah. but also the theological things. And so you would be unlikely to hear a doctrinal sermon or or the name Herman Bavink mentioned, right? Or I, honestly, um, maybe one of my criticisms of that is you probably would not hear the word hell from hmm. the pulpit. Um, maybe a little bit less likely to hear the word sin from the pulpit mm. or money from the pul- like there there's yeah. certain words that in that cultural context of Christianity there were these buzzwords you don't want to say to yeah. upset people often if pressed they probably would have affirmed those yeah. doctrinal beliefs yeah. um and so they have this sort of evangelical bent uh but yeah in an effort to be more friendly to seekers. So that's where the seeker-sensitive term sort of applies to, to this group. Yeah, I, um, in preparation for this, uh, I, I watched um, a sermon of one of these churches in the CRC, and it was a sermon about Satan. And so I'm, I thought, okay, uh, what's this going to be? And the sermon started with three jokes about Satan. <laughs> and so, you know, that that's, uh, <laughs> I would say, it was a bad sermon. It you, sounds you, medieval. It's yeah. like, let's, let's, let's all poke fun at Satan. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, it was sort of like this isn't that big a deal. Um, and so that's that gets its cue, yeah. not from any Reformed theology, of course, oh, but man. from the what do you start your sermon with in a broadly evangelical non-denominational church? Jokes. Good joke. You start with a good joke. And so, um, so I think that that is how the wooden shoes are burnt in that context. Um, mm-hmm. But we should move on to, I would say, the group that we align ourselves uh, pretty closely yeah. with, that is uh, what we would maybe call the confessional. Um, the or doctrinalists. Doctrinalist, yeah, expression of being Christian Reformed. So we burn the wooden shoes or we sort of discard uh, the emphasis on Dutchness by, instead of emphasizing ethnic heritage, we emphasize theological heritage. Yeah. Um, and so... That is uh, done through, of course, catechizing youth, um, having sermons that do lean in a more doctrinal direction. Um, it's often, yeah. for example, my hope that people would learn about God. They would know something about God in listening to the sermon more so than like four tips and tricks for having a better marriage. It's going to be who is God? Yeah. Um, what What does the Bible or the confessions or some other great theologian teach us about the nature of God and how we relate to him, of yeah, course, and through Christ. In Christ. So that you could probably already tell I give a, a more positive portrayal of the group <laughs> because we sort of associate ourselves with that. There are issues in this group that oh, I think we certainly. definitely would want to get to as well, but I think that's a, the doctrinalist approach yeah. is, is maybe a good little summary. Yeah, um, I, and I... I found myself in this group of the CRC largely because I came came out of a not extremely doctrinal church background uh, or formation. Um, I don't say that 
to say that my church, my, my old pastor wasn't teaching great theology. Him and I are still close friends and I did learn a lot from him, but, um, I sort of wanted, I was really hungry for, for doctrine and for, uh, really studying God's word and understanding his word. And so I sort of read my way, way into the, into the historic reformed faith. And so naturally I have fit in with the confessionalists, um, if we can call it that, um, in the CRC and yeah, it's, it's my team, I guess you could say, <laughs> Uh, but this isn't to say that there's nothing wrong with this. Mm-hmm. Um, or that other groups reject the confessions. So we're not the, the only ones who the, hold to the confessions. very important yeah. to say. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes I, I will see things from other fellow confessionalists in the CRC and just think, man, this, some, this person just seems so grumpy. This seems so <laughs> upset. Uh, and I know that there are important critical matters taking place right now. But often this group lacks charity. Um, they lack the ability to see things in the best light possible. Mm. Um, and therefore often read them in the worst light possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, straw man, their opponents. Um, this happens quite a bit, and it's, it is pretty frustrating to see. Um, of course, I'm speaking in generalities here, but and it's, and it's anecdotal, but it's... We do want to point out that this group, which we would say we're a part of, is not not the best <laughs> group in, in in every way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have things we can learn, mm-hmm. but the general idea here is to recover, as Mark said, our confessional heritage, uh, is to recover historic Reformed theology, um, and to re- recover it and to retrieve it and expose our people to the goodness. Uh, of reformed theology as it points us to the glory of the living God. Um, that's something that's really near and dear to my heart is reading from our past and reading it for our present. So going back to famous theologians, um, even beyond the reformation, of course, but looking at the big names, yeah, like a Calvin or a Bootser or a Zwingli, mm-hmm. a Bollinger and, seeing what did these men say that we could learn from today mm-hmm. uh, what did Bavink say in the 19th century or Kuiper even, even with him or Augustine all the way back this? to yeah, the, yeah. yeah and so there's a historical rootedness of the confessional wing which I yeah. think is really good because Christianity is rooted in history it's rooted in historical events that took place um, and so we are mindful of that history and what and the shoulders of the giants whom we stand on. And so we are mindful of trying to pass that, that faith on because having grown up in the context I did in the church, I didn't feel like my Christian faith was that rooted or that deep or that thoughtful or broad probably uh, because I was just kind of reading the trendy authors. Uh, Yeah. I didn't think it was that broad. Didn't think it had much substance to it. Mm. And it was when I started actually reading. Yeah. Augustine or Calvin, um, John Owen, I can remember reading and just being floored by the amount of thought and and uh, philosophical robustness that these men exhibited, um, and so that's part of the the confessional wing of the CRC is wanting to hold on not to our not to our ethnic heritage. I'm not even Dutch, <laughs> but to hold on to that theological inheritance. Yeah, I think among this group, you're going to find. I, I appreciate the helpful criticism there. You're going to find people who are uh, more critical and very frustrated with the denomination in general, 
um, but particularly the Banner, um, Calvin University, and the Office yeah. of Social Justice. So like kind of an anti anti institutional bent. Yes, a little bit. Yeah, you're going so. Um, Which is not very confessional, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, and. Um, I always wonder what the best ways of engaging any of those things are and is the best way to yeah. um, to Slander sort them. of blast them, um, badger them, um, talk, talk, the talk about them as heretics or something, um, especially something as large as Calvin University. Now, hmm. um, there are big concerns that I personally have about Calvin University, but I would try to make those more precise um, than just I don't like what's going on over there at Kelvin, you know. Um, yeah. Now, uh, in general, I would say uh, that is sort of my view based on different exposures that I've had through mm-hmm. uh, v- various means of Kelvin reading the chimes and so forth, right. and and uh, being overall discouraged um, in the lack of reformist Calvinistic nature of mm-hmm. of that teaching. But um, is it is it the most helpful thing just to to bash it? Well, uh, probably not, and so. These are people who are, quite frankly, some of them are leaving the denomination at this mm-hmm. point, and um, that's a sad thing. I would just noticed. It. I just noticed in the banner, um, a uh, a church just left the denomination in the south suburbs of Chicago. Do they and leave for a different denomination? I don't know what it said. It was um, hmm. the banner said it was First CRC of South Holland, which is a that's a historic church, and. Yeah. Um, it's no secret that in our our own town, First CRC of Ripon is is sort of working right. through this question of whether or not to leave the denomination as well, and um, and so in this group there is that uh, there is that tendency, I mm-hmm. would say, um, to be definitely more anti institutional and um, more anti CRC, just quite frankly, for for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, and so uh, my my call, I guess, to my brethren in this group would be to embrace the diversity of the CRC, um, hmm. not to desire that we be absolutely monolithic on every area um, of fi- fine point of theology, um, to hold strongly to the confessions and um, great reform doctrines that we have, but hmm. to do so in the most helpful way possible for our neighbors, especially those within the CRC. Yeah. So um, I, I always challenge this group to be proactive instead of just reactive. Mm-hmm. So we're a part of a group <laughs> called Returning Church on um, Facebook, and yeah. I'm just often saddened by the reactiveness. Mm-hmm. Like you could scroll through that page and just ask the question, is this a negative post about something that they see as bad? Or is yeah. this a positive post about, wow, listen to this, look at this great material, or I was just reading in The Pilgrim's Progress this great quote. Like, that's proactive. Yeah. Um, it's almost all reactive. And yeah. so in this group, there can be a lot of reactionary impulses. That, Curmudgeonliness is what yeah, I call it. Yeah, church curmudgeon. <laughs> it's like yeah. you're just looking for things to be upset about, and that's not, it's not healthy for anybody, including yourself. And so, yeah, we have to be drawing from the riches of the gospel and having that be what what drives us on not just our being not being fueled by anger or rage for what's going on over at calvin university or whatever yeah what's being put out by the office of social justice or things like that there's kind of an irony there in that being anti-institutional and yet caring so much about what's happening over at calvin (laughs) you know it's like well you you kind of pick one or the other either maybe you just don't care as much um or 
yeah, get involved and make mm. make the changes that that you want to see in in the institutions. So mm. um, pick a lane and go for it is kind of what I would suggest. So, anyways, mm. uh, the third group is harder to nail down, I would say, than the the first yeah. two. Yeah, and uh, we really wrestled with how to define this. Um, maybe neo-Kyperian, which is a very theological term, but uh, it's a very they would say we we burn the wooden shoes we we get rid of the emphasis on dutch heritage by um, primarily social engagement engagement mm-hmm. with the world mm-hmm. um, the often culture, arts uh, sciences. Em- emphasis yes on arts education politics um and uh this definitely leans in a more mainline direction and so for those who aren't really familiar with this ver- this vocabulary mainline meaning um, historic American denominations that uh, are less doctrinal in yeah. nature, um, less concerned with doctrinal purity, and more interested in sort of the expression of the church um, is, mm-hmm. do our neighbors perceive us as, as loving? Um, yeah. Are we engaged in the political process? Uh, those are really big questions in yeah. in the this third category. So of mainline denominations that people might f- be familiar with would include, but not be limited to the Episcopal church of the U S yeah. um, PCUSA, the PCUSA Presbyterian church of the USA, yeah. uh, or the United Methodist church has kind of leaned in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had their debates and so there are many conservatives that remain the ELCA, the evangelical yep. Lutheran church of America is quite mainline. Um, and so, yeah, Thinking back about this group, the Neo-Kyperians, and that's a reference to Kuiper mm-hmm. uh, again, but Neo being the meaning that they have sort of revived Kuiper's ideas and taken them in, in new trajectories and directions or to a further extent maybe than Kuiper did. Um, it's a broad group. Not everyone is exactly mainline. There might be people in this group that are still relatively orthodox. Or confessional. Uh, or even. confessional. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but then there would be some others who are leaning and sort of groping, gesturing in the direction <laughs> of of being mainline. And, and typically these these mainline churches. One example that hits close to home is that they are basically all across the board, open and affirming, mm. um, and all across the board they are all in favor of women's ordination. Mm-hmm. Um, Often, even the the remaining conservative churches and pastors in those denominations are for women's ordination. Maybe they're not for being open and affirming of uh, homosexuality and the LGBTQ movement um, or lifestyles. So that's for the mainline denominations. I, I I don't know if that's absolutely true of the Christian Reformed expression. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And and so the women's issue, probably, yes. I think that you would have mm. um, most in the sort of the aggressively egalitarian perspective. This is the idea that women should be pastors mm. and, and so forth. Yeah, they they um, there are those churches in the CRC. I don't know if all of those churches are going to be, um, well, not all of those churches are going to be pushing hard for the open and affirming view on gay okay. marriage. You know what I mean? I, whereas yeah. I think that in in other denominations, that would maybe the linkage would be a little bit stronger. I yeah. would say. I could I could say just anecdotally, yeah. being in Orlando at the Episcopal Church there, that diocese is not open and affirming mm. of LGBTQ lifestyles and practices. 
but they are affirming of women's ordination. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's clear there's women deacons and priests in the diocese. Um, often they would they would serve at the church if there was if a priest was out of town, you would have a woman come in. I don't think I ever heard a woman preach, hmm. but that does happen mm-hmm. um, in that diocese. So that's an example yeah. of a group of mainline Christians who hold to women's ordination, but not to yeah being open and affirming. And, and that's one of the questions in our denomination right now is um, how prevalent is is this view of accepting, encouraging, celebrating homosexual marriage. Um, that's going to be decided this coming summer, I think. Um, not once and for all, of course, but it <laughs> yeah. will. Uh, there will be a It'll lot be a of landmark. revealing um, uh, decision mm-hmm. as the Human Sexuality Report is decided upon by the upcoming Synod in June hmm. for the CRC. And so um, the, the people in this third group would be the most likely to reject... Um, the report, the report um, sometimes on philosophical theological grounds, um, sometimes just to be quite honest, that they they just think it's mean. Like yeah. that that's a lot of the language I've seen even from pastors. Yeah. They just don't like how it sounds. Um, yep. It it seems mean to people to uh, to take such a definitive stand on um, mm-hmm. an issue that matters so much to their their granddaughter who is same-sex attracted and something like that so um that's i think that's actually a fair um representation of many in that group it it just sounds really mean and um they would support it of course with uh with some philosophical uh approaches or understandings of how to interpret scripture but uh, that that thread is certainly there in this group, and hmm. among this group also, you're going to find a lot of social justice advocacy. Um, you can often tell these yeah. these churches when you go to their church website um, if hmm. uh, it just looks like the most important thing at the whole the church is doing things, uh, the food bank, the mm-hmm. um, caring, you know, in various ways for your neighbor, which are good things to do. Um, I would sort of ask ask the question of uh, to, to all three of these streams, what is the pastor's job? And that helps us distinguish from the streams too. Yeah, where, that's a great question. It's where, a good diagnostic. Yeah, what, what is the ideal pastor going to do? I think in the community church, he's going to um, be a preacher, but really sort of rally people with yeah, a community vision. coordinator kind of. Right. Bringing people together. Staff leader um, would be a, yeah. a big one there. And in our context, it would be Really, to be a preacher is what people want me to be, mm-hmm. and even what they want you to be for the youth group to yeah. be like a youth group preacher. Really, yeah. Um, very. Have you ever sensed any pressure to have a rah rah exciting youth group in our church? Maybe a little bit, but a little bit. I think when I first started, I came in here, you know, sort of rose tinted glasses of <laughs> like, my kids are all going to come out here knowing the catechism. Yeah. They're going to know hardcore reformed theology. Um, so I had a lot of these ideals, Mm. um, and there's been a little bit of like, you know, Zach, you can have fun at youth group. I've heard that a little bit, but of course the, the big emphasis is, yeah, we want our kids to know scripture coming out of this. Yeah. Uh, We want them to grow in their understanding of God and in their relationship with, with him. Um, and so, yeah, we don't do a worship service. Um, Mm. we don't do, or in terms of singing, we just do a game or an activity. 30 minutes of preaching and 
then about 30 or 20 minutes of small groups about the, the message they just heard. Yeah. Uh, so it's pretty word centric, uh, even in youth group. And I think in that third category of the neo Kuyperian or mainline leaning, um, Christian Reformed people, the the ideal pastor is going to be uh, very sensitive to justice issues, uh, and so they they do want to hear a good sermon, and they want to hear God's word in those churches. Um, but I just listened to a sermon because I was curious. I, I looked at one of the flagship churches in this regard, and uh, the pastor. First of all, the sermon was very short. That's that's mm-hmm. a trend in that that third category is shorter sermons. Yeah, um, and. Uh, it was uh, a lot of you know, references to Martin Luther King, and um, mm-hmm. it, hey, it's fine. Um, a lot of sort of uh, references to things that are current in the world, and a lot of calls to justice and to love mm-hmm. our neighbor. Um, and so um, that is very much the emphasis that in these churches. They want a pastor who is going to call them to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Yeah, so um, you hear Micah six eight. Yep, you do. And, a lot. And, yeah, in these churches, and so it's kind of a tagline. Um, and so the way to burn the wooden shoes or to leave that behind is to engage culture. I would mm-hmm. say um, with often uh, sort of through social things. It's a, also a very institutional group, mm-hmm. so they often care a lot about what's happening um, through denominational ministries. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's all kinds of reasons for that, um, but. Uh, I don't know if we have time to get into that today. So yeah, um, we, it, we've done a lot of going through yeah. this. Uh, maybe we could do a, another episode <laughs> on how this history and this the the present groups that we see uh, will continue to move through the issue of the Human Sexuality Report. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe we can get to that next week. I well, don't know. Yeah, it will be interesting to see um, how each of these groups is represented at Synod and yeah. and how people from um, the community churches or yeah. the neo-Kyperian groups or the confessionalists, I think we can predict what the confessionalist will say at at the uh, at this coming synod, but to be yeah. very much in favor of the human sexuality report. But I'm, I'm interested to learn how people process that report and talk about it on the floor of synod and how they vote when that time comes for that decision. Yeah, it'll be a re- revealing moment, yeah. I yeah. think, yeah. Um, and seeing wh- who, which delegates arrive and Mm -hmm. just the discussions um there's a small chance i guess that i could be there and so so. i'd be very interested in (laughs) seeing how that goes and then trying to make my voice heard a little bit i don't i wouldn't be the 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 big you know rally leader but Mm. um i i would enjoy it um well those conversations off the floor of Synod are often yeah. very important too. Yeah, uh, just yeah. as as we prepare for that discussion, it, uh, that's another thing that uh, I think is important to have, just to be together and to really hear people. Um, right. What I experience in the confessional doctrinalist group is often a lot of distance from the CRC, mm-hmm. and with distance does often come some skepticism or right. um, kind of a bad attitude, and that's not always accurate for how people at Calvin Seminary are processing things yeah. or at Calvin University. Um, so it will be a, a very revealing summer, and uh, hopefully this little trip down memory lane has been intriguing <laughs> for uh, for people who are listening, whether or not you're a member of the CRC. I'm curious to hear 
if you think we got the groups correct or yeah, if definitely. maybe uh, we missed a group that is um, th- that we kind of didn't nail down very well. Yeah, I'm sure um, there's more we could have added. Yeah, maybe if you're a CRC pastor who's listening who says, wait, what about me? Where, where do I fit? Um, I would be curious to learn from you. It's good to say um, that the Venn diagram too. Some yeah. people really do fit between two groups. It's sure. not like we can be pegged into just one. Sure, absolutely. So, so thank you for listening, and um, we will uh, we'll keep working on being punctual uh, with these podcasts. <laughs> Often Tuesdays, um, comes sometimes, around fast. Yes, it does, uh, and so it's something that we want to do. We we really have committed to weekly podcasts, and we still enjoy it, and hope yeah, that you yeah. still enjoy listening. So um, until next week, thank you for joining us and have a good rest of your week. Grace and peace, you guys.